0: This episode of Asians Represent is brought to you by our amazing supporters at Patreon.com/slash/aznsrepresent and the One Shot Podcast Network. Join our Discord community by heading to aznsrepresent.com. So, for this episode of Asians Represent, I brought in. Two experts. One, the foremost expert on starch in the TTRPG industry. You are oh. technically. It, the, it, I'm the oldest. <laughs> <laughs> you are technically the the most knowledgeable person on starches in the TTRPG industry. Doctor oh, Emma Yasui. And the tubers hit me up. <laughs> <laughs> want, cultural consulting on tubers. This could be a thing. We, I mean, we'll talk about this. Um, and I'll say it. Some of the best hair, best hair in the game, best hair in the game, from Mikoda. Welcome back, by the way. Last time we had you on the show, we just had our like hands.
1: (laughs) We just (laughs) had our hands.
0: Um, And this time we have our faces Uh, because I think, again, visibility is important. Creators of color and professionals of color in this space need to be seen and heard. Um, So very excited to have both of you here. Um now both of you work as cultural consultants myself as well uh but we've worked on a variety of projects of different sizes right i know like hiromi you you worked on like neon dynasty kamigawa huge yeah is oh. that the, is that the biggest project you've worked on
2: yes um amusingly and coincidentally although i guess man the Pride SLD that uh, was just mentioned. So like the Pride Secret Lair.
0: I, I bought it. Oh, I, I bought it. Did you work on that? Yes, I did. <laughs> oh, yo, that's awesome.
2: Oh, that's yeah, so cool. I am. Uh, when when it comes out and you get the zine, uh, I'm in there as the cultural consultant because uh, the queer community is also, <laughs> it's also a culture. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and because of that, and because uh, our uh, fantastic art director uh, had us do, like, monoline doodles of our faces to, like, stick by our names, when it comes out, I will technically, technically, by the smallest of margins, be a published Magic the Gathering artist.
0: Yo, that's awesome! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so cool. I like, I bought it because this is the first secret layer drop I've ever purchased. I really wanted to get the cat one, but this was before I had got sucked back in. I was like, oh, the art is so amazing. They're so cute. But I was like, (laughs) I don't need to spend that money on magic. And now I'm like, shit, I should have spent that money on magic. But I saw this. And first of all, the art, incredible. The art is incredible. Second of all, like, if there was ever a reason to buy very, very pricey Magic the Gathering cards, this would be it. Um, I really like this one, and, and now I have two friends who've worked on it. Um, Jabari is one of the the artists on the set, and that Jabari's card, oh, that card is phenomenal. just so incredible. Um, like, first of all, I want a mana confluence and I don't want to drop several hundred dollars. Now <laughs> I could buy a mana confluence with art by somebody that I know. And it's a dope card that I'm going to put in my decks. Like, Oh, and I pre-ordered the foil. I literally had it watching the countdown. Cause I don't know how fast these <laughs> things go. And I'm like, I, I blocked out time. In my schedule to buy this. That's I literally, dad, love you. I <laughs> literally <laughs> on my work schedule. <laughs> Oh, work schedule. I'm, there's like, there's like a five minute block in my, <laughs> my work schedule. That's there's just focus time <laughs> on my schedule. Cause I was like, I gotta buy this. And like, I'm so happy to hear that you worked on that because when a lot of people think about like cultural consultant, they're like for Asian stuff for like, no, like there is a, l- we are more than just like Asians. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm super excited that they actually brought on a consultant for this. Um and that actually I think ties into one of the questions on our agenda. So I'll make sure that I bring that up um afterwards. But oh that's so cool. So you've now worked on two Magic the Gathering products. Three, what was the other what was the other one?
2: Uh the other one uh was on Strixhaven after it came out. Uh Oh was, cool. Um as you know, there was <laughs> some concerns with Strixhaven.
0: Concerns, yeah.
2: I, I went in and helped with those concerns after the fact. Uh, so did that? I, I'm not in the. I'm not in the set credits for it, because right? I, everything I did was uh, sort of after the fact, going like, these are things that we can do on stories that are coming out, and this is what can happen going forward because. That stuff, right. we can't undo it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: So it was almost like a uh, came in and did a little bit of a post mortem on Strixhaven, and helped them kind of flesh out. Well, this is where we can go in the future if we want to revisit it. That sort of that that sort of work. Yeah. Oh, super cool. Did did then did you get credit on any of the the D and D content for Strixhaven? I don't think so. Uh,
2: I don't think my work was expansive enough to. Merit that, but like I also don't know what uh, what the Strixhaven D and D content looks like because I haven't picked it up yet. So I'm like,
0: okay, I'm pretty That's, sure I'm not credited though. I I'll think. have to I'll have to check later. I have a copy. Wizard Wizard sent me a copy. Um, I'm very surprised <laughs> after after that episode of Asians Represent. I'm very surprised he sent me a copy. Um, <laughs> I was so excited for Strixhaven. I wanted. I was like, when I saw the Killian Lou character, I was like, the art, I was like, first of all, and, and this is on the internet now. <laughs> there's a, there's a dicebreaker article where they quoted me and be like, Killian Lou is such a smoke show. Like that's a hot dice now. <laughs> I I was like, Oh damn. I, like, I wish I looked like that. <laughs> like I will love the costuming and everything. I was legitimately like so hyped for that. And then, it was a huge letdown for me. Um, And it's something that uh, I think it was my biggest disappointment um, in, in recent sort of gaming memory, because it was like this huge potential to have something like a setting and like a character that like, I personally could like vibe with. Cause like, first of all, like fuck JK Rowling. Like I don't want anything to do with like Harry Potter. Like yeah. I want a better magical school. And there was a product that would have an Asian lead that at the time I had that hair. Um <laughs> I was that I say, could, it could have
3: been your cosplay, but it like It could have been my cosplay. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know what? It
0: could have been the costume that I wear to all of the cons and I that that could have been me. Um but then it you know it ended up being like a huge letdown. Um, and I don't think I've ever been really disappointed like that before. Um, and I remember when we did the multiple episodes on Strixhaven, we were constantly talking about having a cultural consultant. You needed to have somebody there. Um, and this will tie into, you know, a question that we have later and that's, well, what if you're a creator of color, do you need a cultural consultant? And we're going to talk about that. Um, the answer is yes. Answer is yes. Answer if, if yes. You, if, you if you're going to leave now, the answer yeah. is yes. Um, but that said, but before we we, we really dive into things, we, we've just been talking about you, Hiromi, and your very three impressive credits. First of all, I'm still like riding that high. I love it when I when people I know succeed. I love seeing other people just absolutely crushing it. Um, and another person who's crushing it. Is you Emma, um, like? <laughs>
3: I'm like oh, Emma. Like... Like... <laughs> you just see me look inward. And go, oh God, Emma. <laughs> oh,
0: oh God, am I, am I? I? I think you are. I. I mean, I. You know,
3: I've gone all in since <laughs> you asked me to read through L5R. I'm now fully invested in
0: all of this <laughs> how many people can say that the that they got into ttrpgs because a friend of theirs said do you want to read legends of the five rings live every you heard Friday? about l5r you want
3: to read it on twitch
0: <laughs> yeah. i don't th- how many people can say that's how they got into ttrpgs but since then i mean a you're a moderator and the asians represent discord server b you've you know worked on quite a few projects like this this was like you started doing this during the pandemic. Yeah. Like it's been about a year. Yeah. Yeah. It's been about a year. So, you know, you've worked on, you and I have worked on two projects, uh, one as consultants and another as writers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've recommended you for a whole bunch of others. And
3: people have started tagging me on Twitter too, which I really appreciate.
0: Oh, cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm like the kind of person who's like, because of Asians Represent, people always come to me and are like, oh, do you want to consult on this? And I'm like, no, but here's who you should ask. Um, and like both of you are like my go-tos now for like Japan. Um, so uh, we were originally supposed to have a uh, another guest, KP. KP will come back for a, a future episode um, because this conversation is one that should happen more often. Now, that said, before we dive any further down the rabbit hole, Daniel getting excited about Hiromi's projects, Daniel getting excited about Emma's projects. <laughs> I want to first take a step back and talk about the subject, the topic of this episode, and that's cultural consulting. Within, you know, the the scope of tabletop games. So we're talking about Magic the Gathering, TTRPG content. Uh, that's what people, you know, kind of come to Asians represent for. Now, one of the most common responses that I saw to our criticisms of Legend of the Five Rings and our very, very public criticisms of Oriental Adventures was, it's fantasy. It's not real, right? It's fantasy. There's Why are you upset about something that isn't real? Well, fictional worlds, I want to start with this, fictional worlds aren't created in a vacuum. We, ha- we take all of our biases and our influences and they work their way into our creations. So it is impossible to completely divorce our fantasy creations from reality. Um, and that's where cultural consultants come in. Uh, and I wanted to start by asking both of you, since you've both worked on projects of different sizes uh, and you've been in this game for, you know you know, you have different experiences, I'd love to know, like, When I say cultural consultant, what do I mean? Um, I'll start with uh, you, Emma, like to to you, when somebody says in your Twitter bio, it says cultural consultant, what does that mean? What what does that mean?
3: Well, I partly use it because it is a term kind of recognized within certain communities and industries now, but uh, to me, like. When I first started this, I'm like, I don't know what I could contribute here, but sure, send it my way. And then I went, oh, my God. (laughs) So in a way, it is hiring a person with a perspective or experience that they're going to see something different when they look at what you've produced and what they're handing you, especially if you can't see what any problems could be that's when you have to pass it off to someone else because you can't see it anymore or couldn't see it in the first place for various reasons. And like I said, this doesn't make anyone a bad person, but like we're not going to see things the same way. So yeah, for me, cultural consultant uh, is a really kind of nebulous term. I don't know if Hidomi can <laughs> narrow that down anymore.
2: <laughs> I Yeah, so like I think one of the key components for being a cultural consultant is that in order to provide the consultant service, they kind of have to be detached from the initial drive of the project because part of the part of the value of cultural consultants is that like we're not attached to, like we don't have like emotional ties to like this mechanic or this character or like like if I come on as a cultural consultant I'm not going in and going ah, oh, that's my boy I can't yeah I can't criticize that I that I spent so much time on that character like no no <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you need to be able to be objective and if you're and and uh willing to call things out and it's really hard to do that if you're the one who made it uh, like in the same way that like, if you're a writer and an editor, you shouldn't fucking edit your own writing. You can yeah. edit other people's stuff, but not right. your own.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's a really good point. And I mean, we're, we're already jumping ahead to another discussion topic, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, yeah, absolutely. It's really hard to be objective if you're involved in the, cr- like the actual creation of that content. So, To kind of add on to this is like, first of all, uh, a cultural consultant is somebody who operates almost outside of that creative production. You are an advisor. You are a consultant. Um, One thing that I always say is that, well, what is the goal of a cultural consultant? Emma, you mentioned that it's kind of an ambiguous term, which is totally true. Some people kind of take cultural consulting, sensitivity reading, and like cultural development, and they kind of all they kind of say they do the same thing. Others will say they're completely different. Um, For me, a cultural consultant is very much an umbrella term for professionals because all three of us have wildly different backgrounds um, for professionals who are basically hired to verify that a product doesn't contain offensive representations of cultures before that product goes to market. Um, The ultimate goal, at least in my mind, of a cultural consultant is to minimize harm. Uh, And And for should add to that,
3: that it's not just before it goes to market or culture in general, but you need to consider which market it's going to and who the consuming audience is going to be. So you need someone who's kind of aware of not just the content within the product, but who it's going to. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. So we could say the goal of a cultural consultant is to minimize harm and maximize, we could say, consumption within a given market. Mm. Um, one of the things that is also interesting, and I I believe that, like, Hiromi, you mentioned in when we were playing Magic that uh, you actually had a hand in also naming a lot of the characters (laughs) in uh, the Neon Dynasty Kamigawa set. Mm Uh, there were two consultants on that, you and and James Mendez Hodes, and you were involved in like various aspects of it. I know that Mendez. Was involved a lot in the world building, and you seem to be involved a lot of in the like the language component. Is is that right?
2: Yeah, and and also in the uh, the fiction. So like, right? Uh, as like one kind of random thing that uh, I did, um, I don't remember what story it was, but like, uh, someone went to uh, uh, a ramen stall, and I'm like, awesome, sweet, and then like the the descriptions that they're giving of it. I'm like, that's, that's not what a ram install is like. And like, uh, like it's, it's like the, the, the author clearly was like, I'm, I'm excited about this. I want details. And like 70% of it was like, yes, absolutely. And then there was like 30 and I'm like, let's tweak this and tweak this and tweak this. And now it sounds like, you're you're there. Like, uh, if you have the experience of going to a ramen shop or like uh, one uh, on a on a street, like that's now now it feels authentic. And like, without cultural consultants, like you don't know what you don't know, uh, which is like. permanent
0: problem (laughs) yeah absolutely and we've talked about a variety of like solutions i mean one of the obvious ones is having a really diverse creative team to begin with uh but sometimes you know companies are small or you're just the sole creator of a of a product and that's not always feasible so um that's that's super interesting one of the things that um i mean in our chat uh someone had mentioned L5R. and We had talked about it before. And one of the things in L5R that we spent a lot of time talking about was not only the fiction, but the game mechanics, that sort of honor mechanic. Um, And (laughs) yeah, yeah, (laughs) that that, that moment of silence that we just had kind of says it all, right? Mm. Um, Another role of a cultural consultant is, and we see this a lot in board games. Um, or that they're actually brought in as someone to not only look at like themes and narrative and fiction, like you said, um, but also how those are all interwoven with the actual mechanical interactions of the game. Uh, this happens a lot in video games, but within our sort of sort of space, board games and like card games a lot. Um so, uh, to kind of circle back to what is a cultural consultant? We have a couple of goals. We have the goal of like minimizing harm, uh, before it goes to market. And of course, in relation to consumption within the market, <laughs> um, but also. The overall process of just verifying that something doesn't ca- contain offensive representations of cultures that are, you know, used to inspire it, whether intentionally or not. Um, intentionality is very important in this. Now that said, when you were talking about, you know, the fiction of neon dynasty, you're talking about this like ramen stand as an example. Mm -hmm. Well, there's probably somebody listening to this or watching this and is like, well, I've been to Japan. I know what a ramen stand looks like. Why can't, can I just go be a cultural consultant? Like what qualifications does it take to be a cultural consultant? And I know this is a super loaded term like question like mm-hmm. what are the qualifications of a good cultural consultant um Emma I'd love to start with you uh, <laughs> since you are somebody who has worked outside of TTRPGs and I've kind of come in with this like I'm not a lifelong gamer
3: oh yeah and every time I get another job I'm like hey cool but like no expectations that I'll do it again. So as Hiromi said, like I come in and I'm just like, what's this? What's that? Fuck all this. <laughs> <laughs> what does this mean? I don't know. Is that a DD thing next? <laughs> so, <laughs> I do know quite a bit now about different games and things, but I, I still kind of have that attitude. And I'm coming from academia. Like, uh, I have a PhD in anthropological archaeology and where my research is based in Northern Japan and um, where, okay. In academia, you're kind of made to believe that you're never really good enough and you don't know anything. And so when you first suggested that I do some of this work, I'm like, what am I <laughs> going to bring to this industry that I've had no contact with before? But like, yeah, I'm, mixed Japanese diaspora that has lived and worked in Japan with a lot of Japanese colleagues and spent a lot of time in Hokkaido in particular, which has its own situation going on with the history of colonization. So like I have a lot of lived experience as well as training in research and writing and expressing ideas as well as rhetoric and I'm very familiar with the history of stereotypes of japanese people in and outside of japan so i've also taught in a lot of pop culture and media courses because pop culture and media in japan overlaps laps with a lot of things including archaeology so i've kind of dabbled around a lot of things relevant to the gaming industry and then yeah here we are uh did my resume build specifically in order to do something like cultural consultancy absolutely not because like (laughs) i don't know if that exists at this point it's still a little bit um open out there and yeah yeah i can understand people having a hard time making that first step to finding someone that can Look at their stuff, but like, yeah,
0: yeah. So, so in your case, you have uh, deep academic expertise. You have you have a a master's and a PhD. Um, You have lived experience, Mm -hmm. and you have like a deep knowledge of you know the subject culture, which which in this case is also contemporary Japan and how it intersects with gaming and pop culture. Um, So you have these.
3: I've said somewhere else before like being an archaeologist and like a japanese descent person you become you sort of this isn't mandatory but you are generally more aware of history and stuff related to you know your family or where you are and where you come from And then with archaeology, you have to be super aware of so many time periods in order to process whatever has been published about what you're researching. Because, you know, written record always needs to be put in context because it says more about the time it's being written than it does about the time being written about. So even though I do one of the earliest cultural periods in Japan, the Jomon period, I have to know the entire span of Japanese history <laughs> from the Paleolithic all the way to present day in order to process what is said about and written about the period that I work in, which means I'm familiar with a whole lot of stuff. And then my family history intersects with a bunch of North American history and moments. So, you know, there's there's a lot going on.
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely.
3: So, like, I feel qualified. I don't know if I did at first, but now I'm like, wait a minute, yeah, okay, I can see. Things.
0: I mean, I totally think you're qualified because I remember the <laughs> the first gig you worked on because this person asked me to work on it, and I was like, this isn't for me. I was like, I have a friend, and I don't know if she would do this because she's never really expressed interest in doing this kind of work before, <laughs> and and I don't know if this is what she wants to use her her academic knowledge for. But I'll ask. And yeah. you ended up immediately being like, oh, no, 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 change that. Um, yeah. And so you, in
3: some ways, it's almost like grading an essay.
0: <laughs> very much so. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> and I think one of the things you brought up that a lot of people don't understand uh, don't see of a lot in uh, academia is uh, a part of being an archaeologist is also understanding the cultural context in which knowledge is actually being produced in the first place
3: oh yeah what Um, is knowledge if not its surrounding context like you can't separate these things there's no Hard facts, like and and these things come up a lot
0: when we're when we're talking about things like L five R or we're talking about things like Karatour. I mean, you bring up the Chrysanthemum and the Sword all the time, Um, because it's always (laughs) it because it was deeply influential in how people in the West understand Japan. And a lot of people who work in games now, they are influenced by the knowledge that is produced from that western understanding of japan and you and don't need
3: to read those books to get that because it there's a bad habit of these things permeating society to a point where you don't even know where these influences and ideas come from
0: but mm-hmm. like that's where that's where a cultural <laughs> consultant these comes in, come in. <laughs> yeah. right so what about you hiromi what what what's your background like cuz we all have very different backgrounds in arriving at this sort of profession What's your background? So, fun fact, also academia. (laughs) Okay, well, I I clearly
2: (laughs) did not... When I said it's
3: like reading an essay, you went, hmm. Yeah, "Yeah." (laughs)
2: Yeah. my my background uh, is uh, linguistics. uh, Mostly, well, I'm at like this weird nexus of uh, linguistic fields. Like, uh, my master's is technically in uh teaching english for uh to teaching english for speakers of other languages uh but like it's to say that it's a teaching degree is like super productive because it's also concerned a lot with uh phonetics phonology uh sociolinguistics sociolinguistics is so fucking huge to the field because you cannot teach a language without also instilling culture on someone
1: yeah
2: and like because of that like i anytime, anytime I'm looking at, at words, I'm like, what is this doing? Uh, so like when, when you mentioned rhetoric, I was like, yeah, yeah. Fucking horns because (laughs) composition and rhetoric studies is its own thing in, uh, the, uh, English department usually, but like it, it's also incredibly important, uh, for sociolinguists and uh, applied linguists. Um, so like, That's kind of like where my background started. And then uh, the teaching market in Seattle uh, depends heavily on uh, foreign foreign students. Mm. And at that time, Trump had just gotten elected president. And all of the sudden, (laughs) there weren't any students. So there weren't any teaching jobs. So I'm like, all right, well, pivot. Do something else now. And that something else uh, was uh, making tabletop roleplay games. And at some point, someone, I want to say Nerdburger, Nerdburger Games, uh, they make uh, uh, capers and probably other fun stuff that I can't remember off the top of my head. But at some point, uh, they wanted someone uh, who knew um, Japan and uh, uh, Hawaii. And while I'm not myself uh, Hawaiian, I have a lot of understanding there because the Okinawan diaspora in uh, Hawaii is huge. Oh, Mm -hmm. fucking huge! Didn't know that. Yeah, uh, it. I'd have to look at numbers, but like if I had to guess, I would say that uh, Hawaii is probably like the number two spot for uh, uh outside of Japan I could be wrong but when if I, I think am, it's
0: close <laughs> when I think of like the Japanese diaspora I always think of Brazil mm-hmm. um, because oh, I yeah. think that's like the the biggest one right
3: Brazil and it's a there's a long
0: and we just of, talk we, yeah. we talk about yeah. martial arts too and where that <laughs> comes from there too yeah um, because also of the Japanese Peru diaspora
3: and...
0: yeah yeah
3: yeah lots of
0: places oh that's very interesting so, so your your academic background was in linguistics mm-hmm. that's where i'm super weak uh, <laughs> languages are just like foo, foo, uh right right out of my head and then so you kind of got started because the you know the teaching market wasn't there and you're like hey i'm gonna start on i'm gonna start creating games and then well you're a superstar now um I'd yeah. as a, sure, why not? sure, why
3: not to a friend and see what
0: happens. <laughs> hey, that's kind of how I started, too. Actually, the start of me doing consulting work was also a, sure, why not? But also, like, kind of a weird racist misunderstanding. Um, oh, for yeah. me, my background is... <laughs>
3: It's kind of bad because we're all kind of academic background. Because we're all
0: kind of academics, but... but We should I say it's we,
3: not necessary. <laughs> but it's not necessary.
0: It's not yeah. necessary. Um, though, I, I think there are... There is, there is definitely a trend, though. Um, I know for us, I think we've all kind of said, we really only work on certain things. Yeah. Right? Um, I will not do things for like... You know, Japan. I won't do things that are like Korean. I will really only do things that are like China and like the Chinese diaspora. Um, And I do like consulting for things that are like the biological sciences, but Mm -hmm. that is outside of the the cultural consultancy. Um, Getting to consult on like how do arachnids kill things is like a really weird thing to consult for, but I've done it Um, (laughs) because I spent a, a year of my life filming doing macro videography of arachnids feeding which is still the coolest thing i've ever done
2: sweet
0: yeah if you've ever seen a tarantula up close liquefy a cricket it's the coolest thing ever um i have not (laughs) but now i want to i'm gonna i'll send it to you i'll send it to you after um you're gonna love it i've got so (laughs) many so many weird things um but that said yeah like one of the things that we've talked about is we've all we've all got academic experience but one of the other things that we have is also lived experience um, lived experience is super important uh, in a part of this uh, you know cultural consulting equation so we have academic experience we have lived experience um, but then we also have just this like other factor of just deep knowledge of the subject culture right because people will have a different combination of these, three things some folks will have a lot of lived experience and of course like deep cultural and subject knowledge and less academic expertise some folks will have more academic expertise than say you know cultural knowledge Mm. and some folks and with a little sprinkling of lived experience uh, For me, I tend to be, you know, deep knowledge of subject culture, academic experience with slightly less lived experience because I was born here and I only worked in China as an academic. Uh, So for my background, mine is super weird because uh, Emma and I had the same graduate supervisor. Uh, I have a master's in Japanese archaeology, uh, but I never consult on things that are Japanese. Um, I have been asked to and I have said, I have a friend named Emma. Uh, <laughs> you should hire them. Um, I have, I've been asked to do that, but for me, I don't feel like my academic expertise mm. is beneficial enough to a project where I think that deep knowledge of the subject culture and lived experience would be far more valuable. Or you should have a cultural consultant who has these two other things. One of three things is, is not something that I think you should hire for. Um, I also have... Oh, go ahead.
3: It's hard, though, because you've used the word expertise. And so what that means Mm -hmm. to different people can be really hard. And maybe three academics are sitting here because it's super easy to sell academic experience as a type of expertise that is recognized. And there is, I would say, like, not a long history, but there is a trend that you can hire a consultant with you know cultural expertise that is fully learned and totally academic, but they're not of the culture that they've studied. There are so many Japanese history majors and
0: <laughs> how many people all have of East Asian studies degree?
3: And there are a bunch of people who practice different Japanese religions that have gone there to do residencies and things. But they're not Japanese themselves and haven't experienced the diaspora side of it. Like, those would be seen as people with expertise. So I think at this point, people like Hiromi and myself, we could be like, we got that. And we're (laughs) from the diaspora, which in this case, because most of what we work on is North American products for a North American audience or English speaking audience is kind of where it's at. So it's an easy sell. But uh, Mahara's been dropping a bunch of questions where it's like, can we answer this? Because I'd say this it, this part of the industry is really young. Mm-hmm. So there aren't lists of like what you should have and in what quantities and how you got it and what that means for the project. So yeah.
2: I, I do think that having like a broad... Um amount of understanding which is generally what like um lived experience gets us uh is sort of essential to uh being a cultural consultant because I think it's less useful to know that like just going back to the to the fucking ramen shop just, be, just because uh, yeah. it's it's a clear example like if I know everything about uh, a ramen shop like I uh grew up in one, was born in one, worked in one for, like, a million years. Like, that gives me huge amounts of expertise on this one thing. And then, like, if I'm asked to be a cultural consultant and they're talking about, like, uh, a Yakitori stand, I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't know that Uh,
0: kind of stand.
2: (laughs) But if, like, you have... Uh, a decent amount of knowledge about a broad range of things, you're able to pick things out of text and go, I don't know if that's right. And then that's where the academic background is very useful because we were taught how to research things. Uh, and sometimes uh, the gut feelings pan out and we're like, yeah, no, that, that is wrong. I didn't know why it was wrong, but it, it stuck out of my head and I'm like, did research, okay, yeah, fix that. And sometimes like the gut in- impulse is just, no, I just had a-, a different experience than whoever wrote this and that's fine. Yeah. Uh, but being able to notice when something seems off is super valuable for a cultural consultant and like, it can't really be taught.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think the uh, Killian Lou is the perfect example of that because from what I understand, Killian was created by an Asian person. Uh, And that story was created by an Asian person. But one thing that a cultural consultant would have brought up was the medium to which that story is being communicated. Flavor text, art, and card titles. Right There is the fiction, but most of the people are engaging with that character through the cards itself. Mm -hmm. Um, And while that is a very relatable story of intergenerational trauma and abuse, a cultural consultant will point out that Maybe that's not the story to tell to your North American market, um, since this play this is playing on like a stereotype, something that Asian people have to deal with all the time. There is one thing that you brought up, and it made me immediately think of something I learned recently. That, despite being somebody with I have an academic degree in Japanese archaeology, I would never be able to point out or identify if somebody asked me to consult on a Japanese sort of piece of Japanese media. So I binged watched this fantastic anime called My Dress Up Darling. Um, And there is a scene where one of the main characters, she is eating something. And she is just like experiencing this euphoria from where, you know, because the food is so good. And in the scene in the background, there are these really sort of like cartoony, like the, the art style was very dramatically different horses in the background. And I was like, what the fuck are these horses? And I was trying to figure out what they were. Were they some sort of pop cultural reference? What did this mean? And I learned that it was a linguistic thing, that I would would have never known this. So I learned that, first of all, umai is like tasty. And then, but I also learned in contemporary Japan, people like to shorten things, ma, which is horse. And then that's why those horses are there. But that's why there are layers to this, right? There is proficiency in the language. There is an understanding of you know, contemporary linguistic and cultural trends in shortening words and why certain decisions were made in the artistic creation. And this is the reason why academic credentials alone are yeah. not the sole qualifier. For yeah. a cultural consultant, they are important. You
3: gotta got know Japanese love a play on words. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I don't. Right? So terrible dad jokes all around.
2: Yeah, I, I, I have been called uh, samui more than more than once, uh, but many times. Uh, uh, samui is uh, uh, Japanese for cold, and is also the word for like uh, dad jokes, like like the feeling of dad joke. <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: uh, I. I was trying to contain laughter earlier as you were explaining like uh, how Japanese like shortening things and how sometimes that causes uh, confusion. I think Emma already knows where I'm going. <laughs> yeah. I love loving this. So, it's a uh, store slash uh, restaurant called uh, uh, First Kitchen. Okay. And uh, Japanese... Has to like transliterate transliterate uh, into Japanese. So instead of first kitchen, it's fast kitchen, and then that's too long. So they chop out the middle, fa, king. Okay, fa king. Yeah, they have a they have rebranded as okay. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) love it. That's great. I, I don't know to what extent that rebanding has kept people from calling it <laughs> Uh Like, they they tried... Not culturally... Well, tiny bit culturally related. In Seattle, there there is the uh, South Lake Union area. And there was a trolley. And so they called it the South Lake Union trolley. S O U T. They've okay. changed the name. No one calls it by that name.
0: Just because everybody remembers that first one. <laughs> yeah. That's that's great. And I mean, that's something that a consultant would have pointed out. Um, now, I, I think you you bring up a really great point there, and and you've also done something that a lot of consultants do. And Bashir, who is another cultural consultant, I will put Bashir's information in the show notes as well, uh, because Bashir is wonderful. Um, Bashir had mentioned in the chat that another thing that a cultural consultant needs to be good at not just proficient but like I would say highly proficient in is being able to communicate and to teach because a part of being a cultural consultant is helping a creator or you know like a product manager depending on the scale of what you're working at helping them understand these blind spots, helping them understand these potential causes of harm and being able to identify and triage them. And I think this segues us perfectly into like, we've kind of established, you know, what a cultural consultant is, what the goals are with cultural consultancy, right? It's minimizing harm within the context of the target market uh, and identifying, you know, offensive representations of cultures. Uh, Another thing that we talked about was like, well, what are your qualifications? Well, A, we say, hey, your qualifications are kind of this like amorphous thing. You're like this blob made up of various quantities of these three sort of key ingredients, right? Um, You know, academic uh, expertise, you know, lived experience and sort of, you know, deep, deep subject matter understanding of the culture. Uh, So the next thing is, well, what kind of work does a cultural consultant actually do? We talked about, for your work with, uh, you know, naming, you know, legendary characters in Yuan Dynasty Kamigawa, doing a post mortem of Strixhaven, helping identify. These are the things that these are the steps that we need to take moving forward if we ever revisit this. This is where this went wrong. That sort of stuff, Emma. You kind of uh, you explained it's kind of like grading essays, going through and being like, okay, remove this this is bullshit change this name entirely yeah. why did you make this say, decision like,
3: in improv it's the whole yes and thing in cultural consulting i found it's a lot of no and here's why
2: <laughs> yeah oh that's a good one like, a uh, lot and, of explanation why is essential yes yeah. yeah, it's just like like you like you were saying like it it's a, a lot about uh communication like it it's not in telling someone no yeah. Uh, like telling creators, no, that's wrong is almost not important because they need something there.
1: <laughs> yeah be yeah. And if, explanation.
2: if you don't explain why it's wrong, then they're free to make another choice to fill that gap. Yeah. And is it gonna be a good one? We well, didn't tell you didn't tell them why it's wrong or what would be a good substitute. So they are going to just put whatever there. And there's a high chance that it's probably also going to be uh, ill informed. So, like, why is honestly more important than no?
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, like, the thing with being a cultural consultant is that, like, your work is both proactive and also reactive.
3: Yeah. Well, especially if you're coming in late on a project. And if I don't know how much change will happen especially if something's pretty much ready to print like I like to do degrees of like severity like this absolutely has to change or this is how I feel about this based on my experience or my understanding this is something that you need to watch out for like there are different levels of comments but I find a lot of the ones where it's just like, no, I have personally felt the effects of this stereotype. You need to remove it. I don't care what stage you're in, like communicating that kind of stuff, but it's tough. Cause like, I don't know. My favorite part is to be in on a project early, not when Mm -hmm. it's already done.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I think one of the most uh, common common things that a cultural consultant will do is basically like a content audit, right? That's kind of what you describe, right? You're doing an in-depth review of the contents of a product to identify and triage issues that need to be resolved. Because one of the things you mentioned, a huge factor in here is the fact that you don't know if they're going to act on all of these things. I could go in and identify all of these really harmful things, but if I'm constantly saying, no, here's why, no, here's why, no, here's why, I cannot in confidence know that that will all make it to the final cut, right? That will make it to the final product. Um, For me, when I do this kind of work, I like to sort of divide uh, my comments into like, this is a critical change that needs to be made. Here's why. This is something I recommend. This is like, here's a recommendation. And then here's one that you should be very cautious about. Mm-hmm. Right, This has the potential to spiral into something harmful. Yeah, And this is kind of this leans into what you were saying about it's better to have somebody at the like start of a project rather than at the end. And uh, I actually had that experience recently with a project where I was brought on in multiple roles as like I went like narrative writer, game designer, narrative writer, like back and forth and multiple revisions and things were constantly changing. And for me, I had to sit down with the project manager and basically say, okay, I understand where you're coming from with this suggestion. Uh, We're talking about like factions in this game. And they were like, well, if you know, this faction is like the Asian faction, I'm trying not to spoil any details. (laughs) If if this faction, it's not the Asian faction, I'm just saying that it's it's a very specific Asian culture. but if like this faction is the Asian faction, uh will that exclude other gamers? And they were like, "Can you write it so that non-Asian people can be in this Asian faction and and rise to leadership in this Asian faction?" No. And I said absolutely not. And here's why. Um I was not the cultural consultant. I was actually the narrative writer for this. Mm-hmm. Um but I was able to take these experiences as a cultural consultant and say no, here's why. This is the context in which all of this is written. This is why what you want cannot actually be a reality. Um, But that said, as a narrative writer, I am fully understanding that I am also acting with my emotions. This is something that I created, and I don't want you to change it. And Hiromi, you mentioned earlier, like, you can't bring emotion into this. You can't be the consultant of your own work. Mm-hmm. And in this conversation, I actually said, okay, we're having a conversation here about, you know, the dynamics of these different world factions. This is what I'm saying. I think you should also bring in a consultant because this project did not have a consultant on it. Mm-hmm. And there were many creators of color working on it. And I said, we cannot have a single consultant for this project. We must have multiple consultants. Mm-hmm. And that's where I kind of wanted to go. And a cultural consultant doesn't always work alone. Depending on, of course, the scope of the project and the budget, you may have multiple consultants, like Neon Dynasty Kamigawa had two consultants, two people with very, very different backgrounds and expertise working on that. Um, So for this one, I was like, here are my blind spots. One, I am deeply attached to what I wrote. (laughs) Um, Two, the location that I wrote about is not one that I have a true lived experience in. I have been there. I know a lot about the history of this culture, and I have deep cultural knowledge and academic knowledge. But my blind spot is that I have not been there. I have not lived there. I do not know what it's like to be a local there. So here's a consultant that I know will have that expertise. Um, So again, this goes into these various factors can still, you know, academic expertise, like historical knowledge, like deep cultural knowledge. But I was lacking that lived experience in this setting, which was New York City. I've never lived in Manhattan, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: nor do I want to live in Manhattan. (laughs) Um, um, So I was like, I am lacking this thing. We need a cultural consultant with that degree of expertise. So to circle back to the whole question of, is academic expertise kind of like the critical qualification? No, it really depends on the nature of the project and what you're looking for in a consultant. and I had asked KP to come on because I knew that KP is not an academic like Emma and I. And this is before I knew that Hiromi was an academic. Um, so I made, it, yeah. I made it.
3: Yeah. I'll say oops, it's rare. All the,
0: oops, all
2: academics. Yeah, yeah because oops.
3: like in general, each field is a little different. But in general, Western academia is still incredibly like bad at representation of marginalized and racialized people so academia should definitely not be the number one criteria because then you're automatically excluding a whole lot of people who didn't go through that process Mm -hmm. and like Mm -hmm. I might put PhD on my Twitter and all that but I don't think that's what gives me credibility. I do that because I fucking earned it. You
0: earned that shit.
3: A lot of femme academics kind of hide that and I'm like I'm not gonna do that. I just spent so much time and effort. But yeah, yeah, no academics should not be number one.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I think we've we've really demonstrated why. Now, things happen all the time. Uh, True. I, I can. <laughs> That. They, sorry, but that, was a, that, was a, that was an Oriental Adventures yeah. statement. Weather that happens. A, weather People, happens. Are People, live. People are bored. People die. Wow, um, I will say that. So exotic it, it happens on a tabletop gaming product, and things slip through the cracks,
1: mm-hmm. right?
0: Often because consultants are brought in, you know, on a reactionary basis, but also sometimes cultural consultants are brought in. And they aren't involved in certain aspects of the production. Uh, for me, there was one glaring card on the Kamigawa set that I thought, as a member of the Asian diaspora, I felt it was deeply offensive. And it's Dockside Chef. Um, and that one was like, oh, that one really slipped through the cracks. But I can't blame you and mendez because you both were involved in different aspects of the project um so it was actually the card that i was hoping i would never get in my booster packs but i got one um and on that card i mean it's a decent card but it plays off of one awful stereotype that a lot of folks of the asian diaspora are you looking it up right now haromi it's
2: a fucking eyeball
0: Yes. Yeah. You see, exactly. Yeah. Right. Run yeah. Away. I got it. Run... Yeah. We, we all saw that card. We were like, what the fuck? Um, yeah. Yeah. Dockside chef is a card that plays into the stereotype that Asian food is gross and disgusting and weird. Uh, and weird, and the fact that it's like from a narrative, like an art perspective, like the flavor text as well and the mechanics of it. Right. The fact that it's like a, it's a black card. Um, and like the themes of like, Black mana in in Magic, but also like it, it the kinds of tokens that the card generates, and the fact that the art is literally like, "Oh, you come down to the docks. You're going to eat some weird shit from the Asians." Yeah. Um, from, and the it's Asians. Like, from the Asians, <laughs> right? But the thing is, like, things slip through the cracks. And Hiro, you weren't involved in that at all because I mean, you told us what you were doing. That was not you. And I'm seeing your reaction now, and this is the first time you've even seen that card, maybe um
2: yeah also and this is besides the fucking point but why is there both pork and octopus in there fucking because it's one, weird <laughs> one.
0: well because i think because they the flavor <laughs> see this is where you could have gotten a chef as a consultant too uh unless that's another qualification you have um, it, it is not ah <laughs> oh, dang it but yeah right that's that's another like You didn't even see that card. You didn't see the art. You didn't see the flavor text, the mechanics, because often a lot of these projects are heavily, heavily siloed. Right. Um, We also just got a comment in our Twitch chat is pork and octopus is actually a good combo in Korean cuisine. Right. So, so these are where I'm I'm down to eat (laughs) it. Um, but that card I found deeply offensive and I was like, that's, that's rough. Um, and I, I know that you both mentioned this earlier, and it's that, I think, Emma, you said, I don't know if these changes are actually going to take effect. Yeah. Like, I'm being paid to say these things. I'm being paid for my expertise and my time and my effort.
3: But, like, you also have no choice over what it is you get shown
0: mm-hmm.
3: or what gets done afterward. Yeah. yeah. And so I like, think- usually I ask if they do publish my name as a consultant, that there be a little disclaimer that i'm not in charge of the final product and its contents those final decisions were made by someone else and not myself
0: yeah absolutely what, what are your thoughts on that Hiromi?
3: uh
0: if you're not still my, reeling my from this card like getting that
3: card <laughs>
2: off my fucking screen yeah. <laughs> 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 sorry like I'm, I'm still like stuck on the uh the wriggling is how you know it's fresh. I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, that's not like universally appealing for folks. No. Uh, like not, not even like in Japan, like not, not even among cultures who eat octopus is mm-hmm. that universal, but okay. Sure. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. I think of Korean cuisine. Then, I just, th- I just think of, that's what I think of, but this is not a Korean set, but like,
2: ramen broth is usually uh salty. Like it doesn't have to be like, but, like, it, it almost always is. And the reason why uh, octopus, when, like, you want it to squirm as, like, a cut food, it's because salt is uh, uh, triggering the um, uh, like sodium-gated it. channels and, like, they'll, like, start twitching. So, like, as soon as you put the octopus in there, it's just going to go all over the fucking place. And I'm just sort of like... Why would you do that? At a stand, you, so you are going to a huge mess. Like, so,
0: so you know that it's fresh.
2: That, yeah, that is such a crap flex.
0: <laughs> it's it's a bad card, and I think even if you think about like the mechanics, it's like tap two, sacrifice an artifact or creature, and draw a card. So it's also playing into this theme of like, oh, it's gross, and you're killing things to to get yeah. things. So we just um,
3: added a long list of and here's why to the no. <laughs> like <laughs> there's so much going on.
0: Yeah, a- absolutely. And hey, maybe somebody actually said something about this. And it made it through. To yeah. get us
2: the hell away from that.
0: Uh <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and Hiromi was not the <laughs> did not see that card in the production of this. Um, yeah.
2: to, to get us away from that and more to a uh More pleasant magic spot. (laughs) Uh, The new set. The 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 new secret lair. The pride secret uh, lair dropped uh, yesterday. Uh, I think it's only going to be available until like Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific time, which is a weird time. The sale
0: ends at the time of this recording, this live stream, two days, 15 hours, 49 minutes, and 10 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) I love that you had the tab there. (laughs) because. Look, I I just uh, watching it. Your card won't get charged until August, by the way, if you buy it on the August 5th release date.
1: Okay, dude. I'm going to show this
0: now because my friends worked on it. But I'd love to hear about your experience.
2: (laughs) So uh, I was brought on to that early and that I think helped out a ton. Like, I think I was, yeah, I was brought on pre-sketch, like, None of the scar None of the uh, artists had done sketches yet. It was just like at a uh, uh, concept. So like, hmm. uh, like this is what the card should look like. This is what the card should look like. This is what the card should look like. Uh, and like, kind of in response to that, I'm going okay. So we're talking about uh, the uh, LGBTQI uh, two spirit plus uh, community. Which means we have a lot of ground that can hopefully get covered. And so like this is the like let's 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 go through uh let's go through the letters. What representation do you have for each of these at a concept phase? Like not even sketches, like what what representation exists? What could happen to the concepts? as like a tweak to get us to more representation uh, and what would be bad representation um, or what would be representation that will cause problems and like uh, at at the bot, like in the appendix of uh, my uh, uh, concept review, I'm going through and listing off pride flags that they might want to use, and some caveats that go with it. Like, um, I remember a fan was, like, complaining that uh, there were no uh, lesbian pride flags in the thing. And there's a reason for that. And the reason is, there is, as far as I know, only one non-problematic lesbian pride flag. All of the other ones have at least... A connection to uh, something that is a problem, like the like the list, lipstick lesbian flag uh, excludes uh, butch lesbians, and uh, the uh, 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 Labris, uh lesbian pride flag has kind of gotten adopted by turfs, and the uh, uh, seven color uh, sunset uh, lesbian pride flag is kind of made by a turf, <laughs> and so the five color which is probably arguably the most popular lesbian pride flag now as far as i'm aware that creator is fine but it's derived from the one that's by, by a turf and i'm like oh my god and so i'm like here is the sapphic pride flag and like as far as i know there's no problems with it but also very, very few people recognize it on site. So, yeah. Uh, but they had all that knowledge up front, which let them make uh, whatever creative decisions that they wanted to, like the the
0: soul ring. I'm looking at the soul ring Holy right shit. now. The flags, there's the, the flags are actually in the card art. Um, Emma, I'll just, I'll, I'll, yeah, it link is our, I'll put the link in our chat. It is... The, the amount of detail on the Soul Ring card is absolutely incredible.
3: Oh!
0: <laughs> so, before
2: color was added, I was able to identify, uh, I think, 45 uh, elements uh, that had some kind of representation, and so I could, like, comment on that. And then color got added, and I'm like, I can't even count now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like... There's just a massive amount of representation, and the fact that they got Marsha P. in there is just yeah. yes, fucking yes. Yeah, What's all the of stand for pay it no mind.
0: All of these cards are fantastic, like absolutely fantastic. That's super cool. That so you were brought in from the very beginning. Um, I know that Emma. A lot of the things that you've worked on. Uh, initially you were brought in like towards the end. They're like, I finished this thing and it's available, but I've now learned what a cultural consultant is. Can you take a look at this? Um, And I know that you're now working on a project as a narrative writer, Mm -hmm. not a consultant. How how has that experience been for you? Kind of coming in at the end and then now trying to be proactive.
3: Right. So it started with me being a consultant, but not getting paid to do that. So part of that is working in existing material and seeing what's out there and what to keep and what to change and how to do that. And so that's been a bit of a balancing act, but I'd say more on the consulting side, I have been brought in super early. So people saying, Mm -hmm. I was thinking about doing this, but before I even start, what are some things I should think about? And do you have resources for me to read? And it's like, yeah, (laughs) I could do that. Especially if you're willing to read some stuff, here's a bunch of things. And I've done that at least once. And I'm on another project where it's also, nothing has been done yet. So creating a bank of reference to sort of direct artists in making things that are probably, you know, less driven by stereotypes and movies and you know television shows and people watching anime because it's not the same thing as (laughs) getting someone to come in and consult
0: (laughs) yeah absolutely absolutely i think the chat is like got so many questions about this soul ring card yeah um because like it is just super super cool my the thing i'm most sad about is the fact that I won't be able to fill all of my decks with these cards uh, because I mean, it's not as expensive as other secret layer drops, but if I want that soul ring in every single commander deck I have, it's going to be a pricey soul ring. Um, now I think, you know, on the note of like some, on like this, like really cool, like project that you're on again, like if you folks are into the magic, in a magic the gathering, curious about magic, the gathering, this might be the thing to buy. Um, also, because it actually shows Wizards of the Coast that the market wants this. Uh, very important to do that. Um, and if the and then market it doesn't
3: need to be dropped during Pride Month to be able to uh, sell or do a thing too. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But mm-hmm. also, like, hey, if this is well received and people really like it and people buy it, this is another indicator that consultants can be brought in at the very beginning rather than at the very end. Um, And as
3: Hinomi said earlier, I don't know if you're recording, but like what culture means can also, you know, be thought about a bit more (laughs) because there are multiple cultures and it's not all just, you know, what we think of as heritage, nationality, ethnicity, and, you know, that area of culture.
0: Yeah, absolutely. First culture
3: question. Defining culture, never, never a fun time. (laughs) (laughs) That's the question that
0: the first year anthropology students kind of go, oh,
3: yeah. And it's a trick because there's no great definition to culture.
0: (laughs) And often, you know, consultants, you know, we are not, I am not just a Chinese person, right? There is more to my identity than than that particular aspect of my culture. Right. And um, those other aspects of my identity are also, what make me a qualified consultant uh, in talking about those ingredients, right? Um, Now, I have a question for you folks. We've talked about like what a cultural consultant is, what they do, what kind of qualifications they might have. Um, One question, and I think we answered it is, do I need to have a cultural consultant if I'm a person of color? And or if I'm, you know, a marginalized person? And the answer yes. is yes, you should. Uh, so simple as that for the reasons, like, you know, you outlined about this secret layer drop for the reasons we talked about, you know, my own experience and being deeply, deeply attached to what I've written. We all have our own blind spots uh, mm-hmm. and it's always good to have somebody watching out for us as well.
3: And I'll say not to, I don't know words are hard not to get up in your face but you keep saying blind spots and that's something that oh, that's you should probably remove right. from your language absolutely
0: <laughs> absolutely and it's good to have people call you out on that right yeah. and to have productive conversations as to why these things shouldn't be in your lexicon Um, Now, I have a couple of questions from- Actually, I'd like to jump back to that one.
2: Uh, Go for it, yeah.
0: We've established, uh,
2: even if you're a person of color, it's very valuable to have a cultural consultant because uh, they'll have a different background than you. uh, And uh, if they're not also on the production team, they're going to have the ability to spot things that you won't because you're uh, invested in it in a different capacity. But also, even within um, uh, cultural communities, there's not homogeneity. Like there, there's differences um, with uh, the pride with the pride set. Everyone on the team was queer. Like everyone on the production side, everyone on the artists, everyone. But like we all had different things. Similarly, when talking about. Uh, Japan, like while um, I'm Japanese American, on a more nuanced level, I'm Shimanchu. I am uh, uh, Yeyaman. I'm Okinawan. And that is a vastly different experience with the Japanese culture than someone uh, from Tokyo. Uh, And it's also a very different experience from uh, an Ainu person uh, living up in uh, Hokkaido. Mm -hmm. Like, even though, like, there is a large amount of uh, both real and uh, perceived uh, notion that, like, uh, the various Asian cultures are homogenous, we're fucking not. And the more diversity that you can throw in, even within uh, our communities, it, it's uh, it will only uh, further enrich uh, what you're doing creatively. Like, uh... no, nope, it's off camera. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to reach for it. But like, uh, there was um, a project that I was working on a while ago, uh, where it's like centered on um, the... Um well, 1644 China, which is, oh, if you're familiar with Chinese uh. history, <laughs> exciting, fucking exciting period. And the thing is that like most people who start writing about uh, Chinese culture in general, they're like, Han Chinese is the only Chinese. Did that just get too real? Yeah, I got real. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so for people who don't know, there are a lot of ethnicities in China. Yeah. There are a lot of them. I got We could probably out. sit down and just like name them for several minutes straight. But like. I, I got to bring up something that
0: somebody had asked me. Go, go for Uh-oh. it <laughs> related this brought this this immediately came to came to mind let me find it somebody had sent me a dm on twitter um first of all we talked about this on our episode on emotional labor don't just solicit people for for advice um uh where was it let me find it oh my god where was it It was the perfect example no um <sighs> Okay, I remember what it was, but um, someone had basically sent me a DM on Twitter saying, hey, started watching your Karatur series. I have some questions. I'm running a game set in Karatur, and I was wondering what language do they speak? And then they proceeded to tell me what Cantonese and Mandarin was, and then they said, but could they also speak Korean? And I went, What is happening? (laughs) (laughs) In my head, I was like, "What? What is happening?" Um, Because and
3: this is where that whole "it's just fantasy" thing doesn't work. (laughs) Doesn't apply. Let's circle
0: to the top. What I said was that fictional worlds are not created in a vacuum. Um, So when you were like, "Yeah, there are different cultures, like various different cultures in China," one hundred percent. But also, when you say, "Do you speak Chinese?" Which language are we talking about here? Um, Because before I was, you know, when I was doing my language requirement for the unfinished PhD that I had, um, I learned how to speak Mandarin. I went to Beijing and I was like, crushing it! Immediately went to Shanghai and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing here! (laughs) (laughs) Because the dialect, the, the Shanghainese dialect doesn't even sound chinese to me because i had never heard it um and i heard it for the first time and i was like where is the jet lag what's happening to me um and
3: i could read the menus that was about it
0: yeah but but like (laughs) here's the thing right like we make these generalizations we also look to cultural consultants they're like oh they're asian they're gonna be good for this right people have approached me thinking that like the first gig I ever got, and this I'm not I'm not proud of it. First gig I ever got, um, they were basically look asking for an Asian cultural consultant. and This was when I didn't have a great job, um, and I was like, you know what? Uh, they were like, here, they're like, we're looking for somebody. I was like, yeah, you know, I could do this. Here's my academic expertise, <laughs> right? They said, here's the budget, and I went. Okay, I'll take it. And little did I know, this creator had assumed that I was create Korean. Oh, fuck. <laughs> and, uh... and I was like, okay, here's what we're going to do. I could do work as a developmental consultant because this person was trying to write something for 5E. And I was like, I can do that. This is like, I can work on the culturally agnostic parts of this. I can look at it for narrative consistency. Um, I can look at it from like a world Review perspective because I am an archaeologist. Um, I understand how cultures work. I understand how things are interconnected within a world. I'll help you with all of that. The budget was 5,000 USD. and I said, let's amend my contract. I'll take 2000 USD and that 3000 USD. This is a Korean person whose expertise is actually in Korean folklore. They live in Seoul. You probably know them. This creator is also, uh, I think I might, out. I'm not trying to out the, not trying to, I'm, I'll tell you the consultant Sangjin Park, uh, who's most excellent, um, person. I always direct people to if it's, uh, stuff like that. This other person was, was basically a white person living in Korea. um, and they didn't actually know the language uh they're living there for a long time and i was like i can't help you with the korean stuff and for me i made it a financial decision which i probably shouldn't have uh but i basically said that three thousand dollars get a korean consultant i could do the dnd stuff um and i could do the world building stuff but that's how i got started consulting it was like Ever since then, I've been extremely picky. Um, And I've also asked very specifically, do you think I'm Korean? That is one of the questions I will always ask people if they approach me about consulting work. I will always ask, is this a Korean thing? Because I'm not Korean. Um, Now, that said, um, when it comes, (laughs) sorry, I'm just thinking about this. Like it was both like a, a blessing and like a, I'm not going to say a curse, but a, a, an awkward experience. Um, one of the things I am very cognitive of when people ask me about consultants is that dynamic of lived experience, academic expertise, and like deep cultural subject, like sort of matter understanding a lot of people are just looking for an Asian person to put a stamp of approval on a project. I mean, this is the Asians represent podcast. We're going to talk about that. Um, but one of the things that I'm really cognizant of is directing people to consultants who have a combination of those things that might suit the project. But if you are a creator out there and I'm going to solicit both of you for, you know, I'm gonna ask a question, uh, and you're looking for a consultant, what should you be looking for? Because one thing that we don't want to have is a consultant who's seen as sort of a monolith, right? Because you said, not all Japanese people are the same. We did a whole episode on the Ainu. We've talked about the Jomon a lot in that complex history. Uh, we've talked about the Aoi. We talked about, um, you know, Okinawa and Neon Dynasty. Uh, I mean, you've talked about your background here, right? none of us are, we're not the same. And so yeah, that's awesome. I think that, okay, that didn't get cropped out. That's awesome. Um, but that said, you know, when somebody is approaching you or somebody is looking for a cultural consultant, what should they be looking for?
3: First of all, they should be looking.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah that, I, that was an assumption that I was making. Yeah. They're already looking um, and they're trying Except to identify one. someone. Yeah. Are you looking for a name? Are you trying to use a consultant for their for their clout? Are you looking for what what are you looking for if you're a creator and you're looking for a consultant? I I don't know that like uh,
2: a a uh, consultant is going to bring much clout to anything like if if you're if you're creating something and like your goal in hiring a a cultural consultant is the clout that they bring or
0: the stamp of approval
2: or the stamp of approval, you're already on bad footing. Um, Like finding how much, like how passionate they are about the topic, I think is probably going to be the easiest thing to see from the outside. Um, Like, dig dig through my twitter find out how much i talk about uh, Uchinaguchi. Uh, like it, if if someone needs a consultant uh, for shimanchu uh, i <laughs> <my resume's laughs> <And> there. There.
0: <laughs> i mean that's what happened when we were prepping for that neon dynasty episode i was looking at your twitter and i was looking at a thread that you did on that goblin card goro goro and I was like, gotta have them on the podcast. There's gotta be a thing. And then I DM'd you. <laughs> yeah. Forced um, so, them
3: to play magic with us.
0: <laughs> I mean, we should do it again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I made an Ishin deck actually after that um after that recording because we had this we kind of came this this conclusion that ishan is actually maybe a mixed character and i was like i'm vibing with that and i have like my ishan deck is is really good now um i'm really hyped about it and i'm really excited because i can get a new alesha uh to replace into my ishan deck with the old alesha but so you've mentioned we're not looking for clout we're not looking for a stamp of approval when you're finding the right cultural consultant one of the things that you should look for is passion because that person is going to be invested in your project, invested in that positive representation. Um, What about you, Emma? Someone
2: in the chat, sorry, someone in the chat uh, brought up that it should not be the only qualification because some people are very passionate and uh, there's a problem.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Again, like maybe when we're looking at those qualifications, passion is another ingredient. Right, we talked about academic expertise, lived experience. Maybe we throw in passion there as well. Um, so what about lived experience is one thing. There are lots of people who have asked, sent me emails or sent me DMs, being like, "I wrote a TTRPG and it was deeply inspired by the summer that I lived in Tokyo. Can you consult on this?" They almost always say n- no. Um, because lived experience is one thing, but what about somebody being of that culture? How do how, I say what, of
3: the group who would be affected by the content itself? So, so is, not that, like is that like the some, audience is that, that is directed at, but who's going to feel the effects of more stereotypes and tropes or yeah, you know, the stuff that we're looking to remove, like who will receive the harm if this goes out?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Like that actually like when we were talking about like how we got in and like one of the things was like, I uh, like my first consulting gig uh, was on uh, Hawaii and like, I have a, a lot of knowledge of it, but like I'm also not Hawaiian. So like if I, Like the next time I I get offered a gig and it's for Hawaii, I'm like, there's plenty of Hawaiians that you can hire. Like, I I know enough to do a good job, but I'm not invested in making sure that absolutely everything is right. And like, they've been fucking colonized like uh, for entirely too long. Uh, And like, I. I sympathize because I'm also an Islander who's been fucking colonized, but it's a different thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, I think that the chat is really, uh, (laughs) really apologetic that I am often mistaken for being other Asian cultures. Um, But a a lot of people, I don't actually think it's people mistaken me for being uh, like, like Korean. I mean, that has happened. I think a lot of people want to hire me because they want me to talk favorably about their stuff on this show mm. uh, and that stamp of approval. And that kind of intent is very telling um, of, of you know a project and a creator. Um, okay, so when it comes to being sub- someone of the group that could be affected by the harm that you are seeking to mitigate, that is for the audience. I just want to confirm that is a must. Is that a must or are there exceptions to that?
3: Well, this, I think goes back to the, you don't know what you don't know. And the people most affected by something are most likely to know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, so that, that's, that's a, that's a must then. Um,
2: I, I would stick like an asterisk there with like, a page long <laughs> caveat. <laughs> yeah, like there, there are people not of a culture that could probably do a very good job, but also be, that's also because they've spent like fifty years living there, and like that they. But like the the vast vast majority, uh, no, no, yeah, because like yeah.
3: the person I think of is my supervisor, who has spent a lot of time across east asia but is a giant white he's man. The, the whitest and white so, dude all of his time spent there is not just through a particular lens but he gets treated a particular way when there that is very different so there's just a lot to it's it's a mess it's super complicated yeah, <laughs> so it's, yeah it's very when when looking for a consultant i guess there there's a lot of conversation to be had. So you gotta vibe check a little, you gotta be explicit about what it is that your project is or what you want and what you're thinking. Be ready for people to say, I don't think that's for me. Maybe they'll offer you more names, maybe they won't. But uh, it is worth knowing that despite it being a hellscape, Twitter is where a lot of people who can do consultation work can be found.
0: Another place is actually the Agents Represent Discord server.
3: True. Uh, True
0: facts. There is an upcoming product that's coming out and half of the authors are all people who have been on Agents Represent because or in the Asians represent server. And it's super cool to see people get opportunities like that. So yeah, Twitter is a great place because that's kind of where we are. Um, if you're in Asians represent, like if you're in the server and you're not Asian or you're Asian and you're looking for a cultural consultant, Hey, look at that lessons. Um, there is a channel that's just opportunities. You can post there, or you can look there if you're looking for an opportunity. Um, use this as like a a frame of reference. This, uh, this episode, uh, somebody had actually asked, and this is a good time to kind of segue into questions. Is there a Twitter tag for RPG consultants? Um, there's not, there isn't not actually that I, know <laughs> that I, not that I know of. There's no, like I've actually never tried going and making Asians represent a hashtag that we use very frequently um, mm. because it takes up characters. Um, and I have a lot to say sometimes on Twitter. Um, but often looking at, those who like signal boost others, uh, a really great person, um, a really great account, uh, POC and TTRPGs is constantly signal boosting marginalized creators. Mm-hmm. Uh, Utopia is another great channel. Asians represent, we're like very, very specific to you know <laughs> Asians. Um, Utopia has a broader uh, array of guests and much broader representation in their content because that's what they're designed for. Um, so i look to other people as well. Um, and then ask around, even though I've talked about how people have mistaken me for Korean and Japanese or other (laughs) other Asian cultures or just never cared what I, what I was. Um, Mm -hmm. this doesn't mean that I don't mind people asking me. I am always happy to tag in someone else. Oh, you're doing something in Okinawa. I know somebody, (laughs) Um, um, Oh, you're looking for something in Northern Japan? Oh, yeah. Or oh, you're doing art and you want to feature, like, Jomo ceramics? As much as I would love to do that, let me bring in somebody else. <laughs> um, right? So I um, please do not hesitate to DM Asians represent, send us an email, or DM me directly on Twitter. I am happy to signal boost for other people. Um, always happy to do that. Because, look, if one of us succeeds, it's our responsibility to help everyone else succeed mm-hmm. right we grow together um I, I like to reinforce that there we should not approach our community our space with this scarcity mindset there is always going to be opportunity out there um so yeah uh that said we have a couple of questions from patrons i know here you, you took us back but it was a it was a great callback to a topic um i'm going to try to go through them we have 20 minutes left um we can do this we can do this uh, JT asks, um, how could you tell a client that they may have hired the wrong consultant, such as hiring an Indian guy to do a Sri Lankan setting? I feel like JT just kind of like went into my mind. I was like, do you want to talk about your first consulting gig ever? Um, great question. Emma, you had mentioned this at the very start when somebody approaches you to hire you, or if you are trying to hire a consultant always do that vibe check be really clear about your intent the scope of your project and the type of expertise you are seeking
3: i uh, always ask what is it that i'm looking at what do you expect me to do and what are you looking to get out of this like like or what are your expectations like what's the turnaround time what am i (laughs) what am i doing
2: (laughs) and and honestly like just having a scope of work uh, in place uh, for any any freelancer, like in any capacity, is actually like that. A lot of people don't do it, but I wish more people did because th- there was a thing that uh, got brought up before we started, before we went live about
0: scope creep. And oh, that's a question. That's coming up. That's coming up. Ah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I told you ahead of time. Um, but yeah, if you want to do this kind of work as well, be really clear about what kind of work you could take on, right? What are your areas of expertise, comfort, lived experience, and all of that? Um, okay, so that's the first one. So if you do find yourself in a situation where you're already too deep like I was, be really upfront with the creator. Be like, hey, mm-hmm. not my area of expertise. I can help here, but please allocate the rest of the budget to this person uh, or a person with you know this suite of expertise and experience uh jt and tagging I... on that sorry go go no, go for, it. Go Tag, for it. tagging on that
2: it's important to do that as soon as possible like i know that a lot of us uh who work in uh, the creative industry like we're anxious beans and we we don't want to be like uh but do it as early as you can. Like it it sucks, but it will suck less than if you waited a week. Like, if it's not if it's not right, let them know as soon as you can. And from that, maybe you can work towards finding a solution together. But if it's like a week before a deadline and you're like, hmm, that is,
0: is a bad fucking time to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And and again, again, Don't be afraid to leave projects. I I have done it myself. I have left projects and been like, hey, I'm not going to charge you for the rest. Just don't put my name on this thing. I don't want my name on it. Or if you're going to credit me, don't credit me as a consultant. Or if you do credit me as a consultant, have this little sort of disclaimer like you mentioned, Emma. Uh, JT also asked... I think this is one we already kind of answered, but it's how do you handle a situation where you're not brought on for your expertise, but to be an enabler to a team of individuals, not of a cultural setting they're writing about? So I think it's the the question is more of, are you brought in to react to things or are you brought in to proactively help the creative process? And we've already, I mean, this new secret layer drop um, is the perfect example of that. Right. So pride across the multiverse had a cultural consultant who was brought in not to react to the final product, but to guide the creative process. Um, So your question, JT, is actually what should be done. Um, I
3: see. I heard that question differently. That's how I heard the question. I heard it as more of stamp of approval style, Mm
0: -hmm. like enabling
3: some people to do what they wanted to do anyways.
0: Uh, So that's to be
3: able to say like, oh, we had hmm. someone look at it.
0: So I guess either
3: either reading of that, we have it
0: either (laughs) for Emma's interpretation. The answer is the same as your first question. And it's do that vibe check, be really clear about wanting to know the intent of the person looking to hire you and the nature of the work
3: and get a disclaimer put on there. If they intend to attach your name to it. Yes. Because if
0: you accept the job. No
3: thank you if it's going to be full of nonsense. <laughs> yeah.
0: One thing that I am also really cognizant of is I keep talking about, yeah, you could turn down work, you could say no, but I also have the privilege of having a good day job. Um, I have regular income. I could not, I could just disappear from TTRPGs and be totally fine. Um, but not everyone has that privilege. Um, also, a lot of people are just deeply committed to this industry Um, so I totally get it if you accept projects that you you need to put food on your table I get it Um, so that's why things like that disclaimer are important
3: I'm going to briefly point out that James made a good point about sometimes you just say you shouldn't include that at all and I have certainly done that for people who want to include the I knew I say it's not my place to comment on that but also it's not your place to include that so just don't (laughs) Leave that
0: out for now. Yeah. They, yeah there, are, there are times when it's just like, I know that you want to include this because, you know, you believe this to be a good thing, but you may actually do more harm trying to do this as like, yeah. as like a, a, a throw away or something like
3: yeah. that. Yeah. So it's like highly advise against it. Like I can't stop people from doing stuff, but no one hears why.
0: <laughs> yep. Exactly. So, wh- why don't we talk about that that tough question? So, Kat, who is also a moderator on the Discord server, asked, "How do you deal with scope creep for a project you've already spent time working on?" Um, Romy, did you want to did you want to dive into that?
2: Yeah. So, uh, touched on it earlier, and the the real answer to this is get a scope of work before the contract, and. If you don't, then everything is triage. (laughs) Uh, So, like, a a scope of work uh, for freelancers, uh, for folks who aren't aware, is saying, like, this is what you're expected to do. This is how we would like you to do it. And this is when uh, these are the things that we will provide you uh, for you to uh, respond to. And things never go exactly according to the scope of work. Like they they don't they just don't yeah but oftentimes if there's a scope of work in place they're going to be somewhere along that um, someone in the chat is asking what is scope creep and uh, so when we're talking about scope in terms of like uh, creative projects we're talking or, or any kind of project talking about like what are the responsibilities of this job what is this person doing and what um, what kinds of things need to happen that this person's involved for. Like that is that person's scope of work and scope creep is when that is either not defined ahead of time or when it gets that its definition gets changed, where someone starts ending up taking up more and more work uh, either more uh, sort of like parts of a project or going deeper into what they're supposed to be doing. Um, it is like feature creep, uh, except with with people.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. So, uh, think the uh, so, what would you say your answer to be in dealing with it? So, it kind of summarize, you would say, get a really clear, like, scope of work before you even sign that contract.
2: Yeah the the kind of answer to, what if you don't have one, or what if we've blown past the scope of work the the answer is bully your boss like you you have to set a boundary if you do not set a boundary that scope creep will continue forever and i i've done this and uh i did it actually i did this like four or five years ago and i'm still gainfully employed in the uh tabletop uh gaming section so like. If you, if you need to bully a boss, if you need to bully your employer, do it. Uh, it might suck. You might never get work from them, from them again. But it's a thing that you need to do because otherwise you're going to be doing like three times as much work for the same amount of pay. Uh, which also hurts your bottom line. Um, and like you, you can be like, I'm willing to do this. But that's going to require a separate contract like you're talking about rewrites for all of these things but that's not what we discussed initially we budgeted for this this is what i'm doing i have done this if you want this this is going to be a separate contract and it's going to be x amount of dollars and actually actually for that client they did they did sign me on for that other contract. Excellent. I, I thought that I thought they'd ghosted me for like a solid, I don't know, six or nine months, but they did hire me back to do that other, uh, chunk. Um, so like it's, it's important. Like it's, it's important for your bottom line, for your sanity, for everything, like bully your boss. That,
0: yeah. that is my answer. You got to take care of yourself. Your, your needs are very important. Uh, Emma, did you have anything on this?
3: No, I was thinking, though, the there have been a few times where I've been asked to consult and when I've said, like, well, what's the project and what do you want me to do? They're okay describing the project, but then they're like, I'm not sure what I want you to do. Because <laughs> 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 they'd never hired a consultant before. And they're like, I don't know what to expect or what I want you to do. I'm like, okay, like, then I'll draft up something like, this is what I can do. This is the time you should expect. And... Um, yeah. for those ones, it was hourly rate. And I was like, what is your budget for? <laughs> like, if I think it'll take this many hours, like what can you afford to pay? Like, like how many hours do you want out of me? Like, yeah. So there has been a little bit of constructive, like helping with some of that <laughs> scope and.
0: Yeah. So, contract, some but... folks, some folks also are like, I only have this many dollars. What can I do with it? Yeah. Um, well, you could be like, well, I could just look at this particular thing. I can look at this particular chapter. I can just look at the art. Um, mm-hmm. There are ways of preventing this uh, for for any sort of budget, except for free. Um, so uh, another Even question
3: for close friends, buy them some food or something. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Even uh, so, Kat has two other questions. We'll go through these ones quickly. Uh, this one is... Um, I think we answered this one already Kat had asked uh, how often is a cultural consultant the only person on a project looking at it from that perspective versus working as part of a consulting team i think that really just depends on like scale um yeah. scale is a massive factor in this cat had another question um and i think this is a really good one because i know the answer is going to vary uh, but for project creators at what stage should a cultural consultant be brought on for cultural consultants? Is there any point in a project that is too late to work effect- effectively? I'd love to hear both of your uh, thoughts on this. I can start with mine. If you want some more time.
3: I, I think I'd say maybe I have the least experience. I think I'm, I think
2: I'm good. So, okay, like, well, yeah, let hear I, it. I, I like as a, um, as when you're creating something like if you know that you want to involve a specific culture, getting them on board as early as possible is going to save you tons of headaches later on. Because like, again, even if you're both from the same culture, you're going to be looking at it from different perspectives. You're going to have different lived experiences. You're even gonna have like different uh, um, points of expertise. So like having a second set of eyes, even if they're similar eyes to you, is just going to enrich your project uh, early on, and I, I did, I did do cultural consulting work after the fact. So like I wouldn't say that there is a point that is too late, but it depends on what you want out of cultural consultants. Because like, if the idea is we need to learn some lessons from this and move forward, then you you can hire a cultural consultant after the fact, but you. Probably want to uh, to not do that. You probably want to get your cultural consultants in earlier.
1: Earlier the
3: better. Earlier the better. Also help you research because Yeah. yeah, even if not academic, probably know of some even like good online articles that summarize experiences, videos. Even I tend to throw heavier stuff at people if they want stuff, or if they have the hours and the money to give me the hours, I will read through stuff and summarize it for them because this is something I've been trained at real hard, so not a problem, but I've had people bring me in at various stages and some of them have even shared where they got some of their information from in order to create what they did and then yeah, that's why I bring up resources because I've really noticed some of the stuff that they use is like some of it's public domain because it was written in the 1800s, and that's not a good thing to be using. Yeah, this is where kind of like <laughs>
0: budgets come into play. Oftentimes, yeah. especially on the note of earlier <laughs> rather than later, um, in the you know in the TTRPG space, one of the the biggest things is crowdfunding. Uh, mm. One of the things that can be brought up in an initial conversation is we need to have a budget for consulting worked into your Kickstarter goal. Um, You do not want to have a cultural consultant or a sensitivity reader as a stretch goal. (laughs) Do not do that because that is communicating to your consumer that safety and harm is really something money's going to buy. You want that to be part of your core product they're so they're also in that case
2: literally it's also literally an afterthought
0: it's an yeah. afterthought <laughs> yeah
3: it's um, one step before the we've released it and oops everyone's angry let's hire someone <laughs> but like yeah yeah so
0: <laughs> earlier the better earlier yeah. the better um in terms of too late better late than never i would say um and but also, it depends
3: like- depends on how much you're willing to change an existing product. Because I would say in general, it's a little too late if you've already released something. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't go ahead and bring in those consultants anyways, and then do your best to either change the product or be better moving forward. You know?
0: Yeah, especially for big companies that own like IP, or if you've got like a big company like Wizards of the Coast, and hey, we had this huge miss. Um, with this Killian Lou story. But let's bring on a consultant so that if we want to revisit this, we don't make these same mistakes. Even though you were brought on way late to Strixhaven, bringing you on is is both reactionary and proactive for the future of potential Strixhaven content. Um, But again, not everyone... It's
3: just that you're willing to pay for the emotional labor that goes into this kind of stuff. Like, not just reading the twitter responses and going oh no it's actually like bring someone in get them to outline everything for you and pay them for their work
0: yeah absolutely and uh and i know there are lots of really good people at, at wizards of the coast who who think like that and mm. want this to be better um so kudos to those folks especially
2: on uh, the, um, the uh, magic side of house
0: yeah
3: It's been nice to see an increased use of consultants and sensitivity readers in general.
0: Yeah, I think it's kind of becoming the standard. It's kind of becoming like a standard thing that folks want. Um, So that said, we are kind of at time. Um, There are lots of folks that we have to thank for this, uh, specifically our patrons. Um, We have talked a lot about cultural consulting today. I'm going to try to break this down into multiple sort of short clips to go alongside this main episode. I may even try to make some short form content um, that we could use like quick little videos that is like, Hey, this is what we talked about today. Are you looking for a cultural consultant? Um, this is what to look for. Um, these are the things they can take into consideration, but we've talked about a lot here. I think the biggest takeaway for me from this recording is that you know, when you're looking for a cultural consultant, there isn't really, a standard template for what a cultural consultant is. There isn't a standard template. A cultural consultant is going to be somebody with a very, um, with a background of many intersecting things. Uh, when you're looking for a cultural consultant, you're obviously, uh, I think our constant is somebody who would be affected by the harm you are trying to mitigate. And generally, that means somebody who is of that culture. Um, you're looking for somebody with also lived experience. And as well as academic expertise. And you want a combination of these factors. Uh, now that said, um, this episode of Asians Represent would not be possible without our amazing patrons who are named on screen. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, specifically to you know our guardians, Brooke Bright, Jeremy, Daisy, Arjun, Justin, and Wyan. And then of course the most honorable Metal Weave games. First of all, congratulations, Andreas. Valorous Games, Liana, we're going to make some really cool stuff. Dungeon Glitch slash Matt, super honorable. I actually had the chance of hanging out with uh, with Matt at the um, uh, the most recent D&D event, the Spelljammer virtual event, which was super cool. Um, nice. And then, of course, the most honorable times, two Epic Impulse. And Namex, my buddy no. Matt we're gonna see each other we're, we live in the same city we're gonna see each other uh, it's gonna happen now normally this would be the time in the recording when my partner brings in marla but my partner's not home yet so i'm going to go get marla and you folks are going to hear the struggle of me trying to get marla
3: good luck
0: so i'm gonna do that before i do that also thank you to Gallant Goblin for this kobold plush. It's super cute. Super cute. So, uh, I think it's koboldplush.com. Gallant Goblin. They have a cool YouTube channel, Asian Run channel. This is not sponsored. They sent it to me. I think it's adorable. Look at that. It's so cute. Anyways, I'm going to go get Marla. You'll hear me struggle. And I won't hear anything day you're day. saying.
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay, Marla <laughs> Okay, Marla Look out. Oh, I got <laughs> Okay. There's oh. Marla.
0: Marla, say hi. Say hi. No?
3: Marla. Like, what Marla, is this? Marla, say hi to Hello, Marla. Hey,
0: Marla. Blink. Oh. No. <laughs> it's Just gonna huff into the. There's Marla's belly. Yep. Marla's so big. <laughs> okay. Marla, say bye to everyone. No. No, no Marla. Okay. Uh, Marla's gonna have her revenge soon yeah. <laughs> Um but yeah that said uh before we wrap up do you folks want to hear like a, a really funny Marla story it's a revenge story Ooh, um, it's a cat story and a um, it's a cat story. revenge story so uh, we usually do a longer preamble at the beginning but we did not because uh, Steve's not here Um so when I first got Marla Marla was really really big like she had like these really short legs because her belly was so big um, and she couldn't clean herself so I decided to give Marla a bath and I'll post this in our discord but when I gave Marla a bath she looked like a wet rat because like just like all of her fur was just like and, but we didn't do her head so she's just like Ugh. and that and this is when I first got her that night I'm a really deep sleeper and my partner at the time is not a deep sleeper and I was sleeping and Marla got up on the bed and we we're like, Oh my God, is Marla going to like sleep on you? And was like sitting on my chest. I probably went, and Marla <laughs> sat on my chest and it was like this potentially beautiful moment at like three in the morning. And then Marla started peeing on me <laughs> and Daniel being a deep sleeper. Didn't notice until he felt warm. And his partner was like, oh, my God.
1: <laughs>
0: and yeah, that happened to me. Um, we all love Marla. Marla maybe doesn't love me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that said, Romy, Emma, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. Um, yeah. I'm going to link your websites uh, or or your, your social media in the show notes. I'm going to put that on the YouTube video. Um, very excited! Patrons will have access to show notes on this. I'm gonna, you know, tighten up all the notes so people um, so they're easier to comprehend than my sort of like oh, thoughts. Um, <laughs> but everyone will have access to that. Again, thank you so much. Thank you, everyone who's uh, watching us live, watching us on YouTube, or, or listening to us on our podcast feed. We appreciate you. We have yeah. one more episode for this season until we take a one month break, um, and maybe we'll come back with dungeons and asians we'll see super hyped um that said take care everyone and uh we'll see you in two weeks bye everybody
1: bye